Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Uh, I'm glad to see you all this morning as we continue our series on Advent, uh, Jesus, Why He Came. As we said last week, Advent just Advent means an arrival. Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' first coming, his first arrival, as we look forward to him coming again, his second Advent, his second arrival. And today we're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, which talks about one of the reasons why Jesus came, that Jesus came as an offering. If you're keeping up with our yearly Bible reading plan, you'll read through Hebrews 10 this week. And so now you'll have some extra meaning as you read through Hebrews chapter 10. Really to understand where we're going to go in our text today, you you need to understand a little bit about the Old Testament. Uh, God wanted to dwell among his people. If you remember the biblical story, God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and then he brought them into a desert, and he wanted to bring them into a promised land. But part of that was he always wanted to dwell among them. He wanted his presence to be in the middle of them. And so at various times in Israel's history, he would ask that they create a tabernacle or a temple that he could live in. But one of the challenges was that Israel always fell short of God's commands for them. And so as he wanted to live among them, it was that their sin got in the way of him having relationship with them. Now, I I know that might sound strange from our perspective. It's maybe hard to see that from God's perspective, but you can imagine for a moment in my own house, this house that I own, if, if I go throughout the house and there's Legos on the ground and I don't see them and I step on them, uh, you know, I, I get, it bothers me. I might get a little angry at that. And while God is so much different than that, it might help you to understand when God lives among his people and he meets with them and they're sinful and they're rebellious, it bothers him, it frustrates him, it offends him. Our rebellion, our sin offends God. But he wanted to live among them. And so he created a way for their sin to be made right, and that was called the sacrificial system. That was where their sin could be atoned for by offering animals as sacrifices. Romans 3 says the wages of sin is death. In other words, it's not just stepping on Legos. The way humans live their lives deeply offends God. It's our normal, but it is not God's normal. And so something must be done to atone for our sin. And God created this sacrificial system where instead of humans paying for their sin, an animal was sacrificed to pay for their sin. Now, when you understand that, it helps us understand what we're going to read today in Hebrews chapter 10, that Jesus came as an offering. Now, we're going to look at the whole chapter, or much of the chapter, but we're really going to just start with some key verses in verses 5 through 10, and then we're going to expand out to understand that better. So let me read Hebrews 5 or Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, that's Jesus, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. After he says the above, after Jesus said that, 
you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Pray with me quickly. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would open up our eyes to see what you've done in offering your body as a sacrifice for us. And all God's people said, amen. When something bad happens in your life, what do you think? I was talking to someone the other day, and they said that all his family members, whenever something bad happens, they immediately start to think that God is punishing them for something. If something bad happens, they, they start to go, God, what did we do? What did I do to deserve this bad thing that happened in my life? Now, I, I don't know if that sounds familiar to you, kind of think that way. We think that there's sort of this bartering system with God. When something bad happens, it's very easy to go, God, what did I do to deserve this? Why are you punishing me? And then what follows usually after that is, what can I do? If I did something and you're trying to get my attention or discipline me or punish me, you're trying to to show me something, what can I do to earn my way out of this? What can I do? What sort of behavior should I put in place in order to get you off my back so I could get back in your good graces? God, if this bad thing is something you're bringing in my life because of something wrong I did, then what can I offer you? What can I do um, to, to, to get out of it? I know I will try harder, God. I promise I will try harder. Do you ever have that conversation in your mind when you sin or you mess up and then something bad happens and you're like, oh, this must be God's way of punishing me. I'll, I'll try harder. I haven't been praying enough, and I know that God's trying to get my attention, and so I'm going to, God, I'll do it. I will pray more. I promise I'll pray more. I I know every Sunday Pastor John mentions the F-260, and I haven't read like a month and a half, so God, I promise, I promise I will get it this week. This week is my week with the F-260. God, I know that my church attendance has been so spotty, but I'm really going to do it. From now on, I'm not... I'm not going to miss church, God. Please just relieve this situation in my life. I can do this, God. I can earn your favor. I, I can show you that I'm serious. I can offer myself to you. But here's the thing. When we live our life that way, when we live our life, if I do these things, then God will. If I do these things, then God will. When we live our life If I do these things, then God will do this. That doesn't work. Because we live our lives then guilt-ridden and timid before God. If I do these things living, doesn't work. God, if I offer you these things, then you will do these things. How do we even know that's what God wants? How do we know when we've done enough? If I do these things, living doesn't work. But here's the good news. What Jesus has done for us does work. 
Because Jesus Christ came as an offering from God. He sacrificed his body for us to God. He died for your guilt, past, present, and future, before God, so that you could live boldly with God. That Jesus Christ came as an offering. He, he sacrificed his body in order to die for your guilt so that you would not have to live guilt-ridden and timid before God, but rather you could live boldly with God. That's what the author of Hebrews 10 is trying to get across to us. As I said, our sin is always a barrier for relationship with a holy, sinless, righteous God. And that leaves us guilty before him. When I say guilty, I don't mean emotional feelings. I mean a spiritual reality. We have broken his law. It doesn't matter how you feel. The reality, if someone gets in trouble with the law and goes to court and they are guilty, they might not feel guilty, but they've actually committed the crime. For you and I, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have not obeyed God's commands. We have not worshipped him as he deserves. And that situation has to be made right because God is just. Now, from our perspective, we go, what's the big deal, God? Like, why can't you just overlook this stuff? But you and I don't work that way when people wrong us. When people wrong us, we want them to atone for their sins. We want it made right. We can't just overlook the way that this person has hurt me, or we can't overlook the way that celebrities in our culture do awful things. These things have to be made right. And you and I feel that way about other people because we have a sense of justice just like God has a sense of justice. And so our sin situation with God has to be made right. It has to be atoned for. And this was what the sacrificial system was for, making sinners right with a sinless God. But there were some problems with the sacrificial system. And the issues were not from God's side. The issues were that even when people sacrificed, offered a sacrifice for their sin, as soon as they had been purified by that sacrifice and they had left the sacrificial altar and on their way home, they just kept sinning again. And so they had to go back <laughs> and they had to offer another sacrifice. That's what the author of Hebrews gets at when he opens our chapter in verse 1 through 4. He says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered, since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. In other words, if the sacrifices worked for all time, why did they keep, have to, keep having to offer the sacrifices? But then this is key. It says, in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Uh, the sacrificial system was a reminder of sin, but it could not permanently remove sin before God. Uh, sin has two aspects to it. One is the penalty for it, when someone wrongs you, there must be justice, right? When we wrong God, there must be justice. There is a penalty for sin, but there's also the power of sin. 
So the penalty of sin could be paid for in the sacrificial system, but people still had sin in their hearts. On their way home from offering a sacrifice, they would just sin again because sin had power over their lives and power over their hearts. And so the sacrificial system offered a reminder of the sin, but it could not remove it from their hearts. I heard a pastor tell a story about a couple that he was counseling. And the couple, uh, this man and wife, 15 years ago, the, the wife had just really, really wronged her husband. And it had caused a deep wound in their relationship. But he had forgiven her. And she struggled with the guilt still. So every day, 15 years later, he would wake up and say, I forgive you. I, I forgive you. I forgive you. But the wife confessed to the pastor, even when he says, I forgive you every day, it's just a reminder of that awful thing I did in the past. So even though he forgives me, I still feel the guilt of what I did. Similar way, when sacrifices were offered, it was a reminder of sin, but not a remover of it. And because of that, the sacrificial system became a, a religious ritual rather than a means to relationship with God. The sacrificial system was something that Israel began to perform like a ceremony absent of the meaning that was infused in offering an animal to God as a sacrifice. In other words, the sacrificial system became like an ultimate end rather than knowing God through offering sacrifice. The system became an end, not God. And that was never God's desire. God's desire was that people would know they were sinners through the system and grow in faithfulness and int intimacy with him. The ritual was always about the relationship. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. In other words, God commanded the sacrificial system, but the sacrificial system wasn't the point. The point was to know God through it. But people went right back to this, if I do this kind of living, if I do this, if I complete this mechanism, then God is on my side, rather than building relationship with God through the system. Now, here's the weird thing. God commanded that people give sacrifices. And it makes us think, are there things in our life that God has commanded us to do that instead of enjoying relationship with God through obeying him, we think we control God by doing them? Are there things that God commands that we have in our mind, if I do these things, then God owes me? If I read my Bible, and I do it seven times this week, God owes me. Then I'm in good with God, and he'll give me what I want. He'll give me that new job. He'll, he'll give me that spouse I'm looking for. If I perform, then, then God owes me. But friends, that is if I do these things type of living, and it just doesn't work. If I do these things doesn't work because you never know if you've done enough things to get in good with God. How do you know? How do you know how much you have to do in order to get in good with God? How much do you have to offer? If I do these things living doesn't work because it's never done. But here's the good news for us this morning. 
Jesus' death was the work, and now it's done. Jesus' offering of his body as a sacrifice to God on the cross for you and I was the work, and now the work of getting in good with God is done. It's complete. It's it's finalized. Jesus died for your guilt before God, and you have no more guilt. You are cleansed. You are purified. The work is done. Jesus' death on the cross was, first of all, a final offering for sin. In verse 10 through 12, it says that we have been sanctified. That means positionally, we have been set apart. We are now with God. We are his instruments on earth. We have been reconciled to him. We have been made his children, and he is now committed to us and use us because we are positionally transitioned and reconciled to him. We have been sanctified through what? The offering of of the body of Jesus Christ just one time. No, no, no. Once for all time. In other words, it is final. When Jesus died on the cross and you trusted him, there was nothing more you could offer to get in good with God because Jesus did all that you needed for relationship with God. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. That's what verse 11 says. You notice it says every priest stands. Here's something interesting about the temple where the sacrifices happened. There were no chairs. There were no chairs for the priest to sit in. And the reason was there was no rest because the priest had to continually offer sacrifices for the people's sin because they kept sinning. So the priests could not stop working. That's why there was a whole bunch of priests and they rotated, but there was no place to sit for them in the temple because the work was never done. But when Jesus died on the cross, when he offered himself for your sins and he was put in the tomb and he defeated death and he ascended to the heavenlies, sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 12 says, but this man, talking about Jesus, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Because the work of offering payment for our sin was done. When he sat at the right hand of God, it meant that God the Father accepted his offering for our sin as the final offering. In other words, there is no more payment for sin. If you have repented of your sins and you trust Jesus Christ, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are paid for. What Jesus did on the cross was not just the final offering, it was the finisher of sin. Verse 16 through 18, it says, I will put my law on their hearts, and write them on their minds. Now, this was a promise that God had given in the, in the Old Testament about when Jesus would come. And you remember the problem with the sacrificial system was not necessarily the system, but it was the people. Because once they offered sacrifices, they would leave and they would just sin again. Because God's law was something that put external 
pressure on them, but was never internalized until God wrote the law on our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which comes through Jesus. In other words, now, because of what Jesus has done and Jesus has sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us and we want to obey God's commands. Not because you and I initiated wanting to, but because God put the Spirit in us and brought us to life. And now when we sin, we don't change from a position of innocence to guilt. Rather, we feel this thing called conviction where we go, I'm not living a life that's pleasing my heavenly Father who loves me. And the conviction I feel doesn't mean that God has now cast me out. It's his love in me that's trying to get me to return to him. When he says, I will put the law on their hearts, it is an internalization of God's commands. Catherine Booth says it this way, what the law tried to do by a restraining power from without, the good news does by an inspiring power from within. So Jesus' offering was a finisher of the power of sin, but it was also a finisher of the penalty of sin. What we've been saying, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for it all, and as he was dying, what did he say? It is finished. Verse 17 says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless acts. Verse 18, now where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer an an offering for sin." Jesus' death put sin to death. Now that Jesus' death was the work and now it's done, you can live not guilt-ridden, not timidly. You can live before God with boldness, confidence, and power, You can live boldly before God. Look at what what the author says in verse 19 and 20. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a what? A boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. Now, when he says the word new, what he's referring to is that there's a new way to approach God. And he uses this word curtain. In the temple structure where sacrifices were offered, there was levels, there was layers of the temple, and God was right in the middle in the Holy of Holies. That's where his presence dwelled. And depending on who you were, you could only get so close. And there was a curtain that separated the most inner room where God's presence dwelled from everything else. And only the high priest was allowed to enter into that room once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and he would bring the blood of a killed animal and sprinkle it in that room to purify for the people's sins. But he, the high priest, could only go in one time a year through the curtain. But now, that curtain literally was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. And now it's not just that you and I can go into God's presence, his holy presence, once a year. We get to live in his presence every day. Do you see how significant this is? That we have been ushered past the curtain into the holy of holies 
not because of what we have done, but because the blood of Jesus has sprinkled us clean. That's how effective his work is for you and for me. Is a new way through the curtain, but it's also a living way. Because when the animals were sacrificed, they died and they stayed dead. Sometimes even some of the offerings, they would eat the animals. But when Jesus was offered, he did not stay dead. Jesus was put in the tomb, but came to life by the power of God three days later. And so now the sacrifice that we trust in is not a dead animal, but a living Lord who has defeated sin and death on our behalf and now reigns and rules at the right hand of God. And when you begin to understand that, you have a freedom and a power to approach God boldly. As you realize what's happening spiritually is that you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ, Paul will write. That means positionally, you are before the throne of God and you're supposed to be there. Not because of anything you've done but because Jesus died for you. And that's how effective his offering was for you. The the author says that Jesus is the new priest. He's the new great high priest. Verse 21 and 22, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now that's not this building, that's you and me. We're the church, we're the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Notice what it doesn't say. Let us draw near when we've finally gotten over all our sins. Let us draw near when we've perfectly repented. Let us draw near when we finally got everything together. It does not say that. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near knowing that what Jesus has done for us counts and matters and is all we need to approach God because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water in baptism. We can go to God as sinful, broken people, not because we're sinless, but because Jesus was sinless. He has paid everything that we need. And then He continues writing in verse 23 and 25. He says, if that's true, then let us hold on to this confession of our hope. That that hope is Jesus. Let us hold on to Jesus without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know if you realize what the author did, just did. The author is talking about walking in faith, practicing spiritual disciplines, reading our Bible, praying, going to church, doing good works, but from a totally different motivation. Not from, if I do this, then God will, but rather, Because Jesus has done these things for me, I'm going to persevere with God through hard things. I'm going to do good things, not to earn favor from God, but because I'm seated in the heavenlies with Christ. I'm going to go to church 
Not because I'm trying to get in good with God, but because Jesus has offered himself to me, for me to God, I can offer myself to others in love. I don't have anything to prove before God. I can be filled up with the love that God has for me that I saw so clearly in the offering of Jesus, and I can give that love to other people in this congregation. I can do good to them. I can persevere with them. I don't have to get God off my back. Because going to church isn't just an empty ritual. It's coming together to celebrate what Jesus has done for us and offering ourselves to others. This is our Advent series, and I'll close with this. To get Christmas, to get this Advent season, is, is really to get why Jesus came. Jesus not, did not come to start religion based on guilt. Rather, Jesus came to offer himself as a sacrifice for guilty people. So that your guilt could be dealt with. So you would not have to live timidly and guilt-ridden before God. But you could live boldly following him as son and daughter. The next time something bad happens and you hear in your mind, God, what did I do to deserve this? Remind yourself that that type of living does not work. And when you hear those words, God, what did I do to deserve this in your mind? Stop yourself and say, self, instead of saying, God, what did I do to deserve this? Let's say, look what Jesus has done. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.